Welcome to Music History Monday for December 28, 2020. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Maurice Ravel. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash Robert Greenberg Music, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on December 28, 1937, 83 years ago today, of the French composer and pianist Maurice Ravel in Paris at the age of 62. We will get to the magnifique and formidable Monsieur Ravel in a moment, but first, we've a birthday to acknowledge. We mark the birth on December 28, 1896, 124 years ago today, of the American composer and teacher Roger Huntington Sessions in Brooklyn, New York. He died at the age of 88 on March 16, 1985, in Princeton, New Jersey. I myself never studied with Roger Sessions. He had retired from the Princeton faculty in 1965 while I was in attendance from 1972 to 1976. Nevertheless, the old man cut a wide swath on campus. And why the heck not? A multiple Pulitzer Prize winner, friend of Arnold Schoenberg, Aaron Copeland, and Thomas Mann, Norton Fellow at Harvard, there was hardly an American musical event that took place during the 20th century that Sessions wasn't in some way involved with. While I never studied with Sessions, I did indeed study with his protege, Andrew Welsh Imbry, 1921 to 2007, when I was a graduate student at the University of California, Berkeley. Imbry was my PhD thesis advisor. And thus, a silly game I love to play, and that is to trace my personal musical lineage back through my teachers. My principal teacher was Andrew Imbry. Imbry's principal teacher was Roger Sessions. Sessions' principal teacher was the Swiss-born American composer Ernest Bloch, 1880-1959. Bloch studied with the German composer Iwan Otto Armand Knorr, 1853-1916, in Frankfurt. Knorr's principal teacher was Karl Heinrich Karsten Reinecke, 1824-1910. Reinecke, in turn, studied with Felix Mendelssohn, Robert Schumann, and Franz Liszt at the Leipzig Conservatory. Mendelssohn studied with Karl Friedrich Zelter, 1758-1832. Zelter was self-taught, so that branch of my pedagogic tree dies right there. It is with Schumann and Liszt that the tree further branches. Please bear with me. Robert Schumann, 1810-1856, studied with the German composer and conductor Heinrich Ludwig Egmont Dorn, 1804-1892. Dorn's principal teacher was the German pianist and composer Karl Ludwig Heinrich Berger, 1777-1839. to 
Berger studied piano and composition with the Italian-born pianist, composer, and conductor Muzio Filippo Vincenzo Francesco Severio Clementi. 1752 to 1832, who wrote all those sonatinas and competed with Mozart on piano before Emperor Joseph II and the imperial court in Vienna on December 24, 1781. We'll close off this branch of the tree right here with Clementi. Back to Liszt, where my pedagogic tree again branches. Liszt's principal piano teacher was the Austrian composer and pianist Carl Czerny, 1791 to 1857. Czerny's principal teacher was Ludwig van Beethoven, 1770 to 1827. Beethoven's principal teacher was the composer and organist Christian Gottlob Neffe. 1748 to 1798, whose principal teacher was the German composer Johann Adam Hiller, 1728 to 1804. Hiller's principal teacher was the German organist and composer Gottfried August Homilius, 1714 to 1785. And Homilius's principal teacher while at Leipzig University was Johann Sebastian Bach. To Liszt, yes, this will be over soon. Franz Liszt's principal composition teacher was the Italian composer Antonio Salieri, 1750-1825. Salieri was the protege of the great opera composer Christoph Willibald Gluck, 1714-1787. We need go no further. Thanks to the birthday boy, Roger Sessions, my personal musical family tree can be traced back to Sebastian Bach, Christoph Gluck, Muzio Clementi, Karl Czerny, Ludwig van Beethoven, Franz Liszt, Felix Mendelssohn, and Robert Schumann. As you might guess, I'm feeling pretty good about myself right about now. Maurice Joseph Ravel was born on March 7th, 1875 in Cibor, in southwestern France near Biarritz. He died in Paris on December 28, 1937. His mother Marie was a native Basque and his father, Pierre-Joseph Ravel, was a Swiss-born engineer. Ravel himself would have made a heck of an engineer. He was meticulous in every aspect of his life, from the design of his home, even the wallpaper in his home, to the clothes he wore and the food he cooked. As a composer, he was a perfectionist. Every note had to count, and every musical surface had to gleam. His friend, the poet Leon Paul Fargue, wrote that, quote, he liked to do and do well everything. Everything that came from his brain carries the mark of perfection. His passion was to offer to the public finished works polished to a supreme degree." Unquote. Speaking to both Ravel's workmanship and his father's Swiss origins, Igor Stravinsky referred to Maurice Ravel as being, quote, a Swiss watchmaker, unquote. 
The Ravel family moved to Paris three months after Maurice was born, and it was there that Ravel grew up during one of the great epics of that arguably greatest of all cities' history. A talented pianist, but not a prodigy, Ravel entered the Paris Conservatoire in 1889 at the age of 14. He studied there on and off for 16 years and completed his education as a composition protege of Gabriel Faure. Maurice Ravel was neither a loudmouth nor a jerk. Nevertheless, he drove his teachers at the Conservatoire nuts. The problem was that Ravel began to experience real success as a composer while he was still a student. Think about it. What can an academic pedant tell a 23-year-old student who has already garnered more artistic fame and respect than the pedant ever will? The directors of the Conservatoire came to loathe Ravel and decided that their best course was to trash him as often as possible. So despite his talent and success, Ravel was never awarded any of the departmental prizes that were considered at the time to be so important for a student's future success. Ravel had the last laugh because in the end his ongoing failure to win a Prix de Rome, the Rome Prize, created a scandal that brought down the leadership of the conservatory. Background. The Rome Prize was a multi-year compositional residence in Rome at the Villa Medici, adjacent to the Borghese Garden. Established back in 1663 and underwritten by the French government, it is the single most prestigious prize a young French composer can receive. In Ravel's day, the competition for the prize consisted of writing a cantata, a work for some combination of solo voices, chorus, and orchestra, on a text given by the adjudicators, adjudicators who were drawn from the faculty of the Conservatoire. Past winners of the Prix de Rome included Hector Berlioz, Charles Gounod, Georges Bizet, Jules Massenet, and Claude Debussy. So here's what happened. In 1900, at a time his music was being talked about across Paris, Ravel's cantata, entitled Les Bayadères, didn't get out of the preliminary round. In 1901, Ravel, who was convinced that he would never be awarded the prize and thought the text he had been given to set idiotic, composed a cantata entitled Mira that was set almost entirely as a waltz. The judges were not amused. They sniffed, quote, Monsieur Ravel should not think that he can ridicule us. Monsieur Ravel may well consider us flat-footed pedants, but he will not go unpunished for taking us as imbeciles." Unquote. Flat-footed imbeciles, yeah, that sounds just about right. Needless to say, Ravel was not awarded the Rome Prize in 1901, which instead was given to someone named André Caplet. Neither was Ravel awarded the prize in 1902 for a work entitled Alcione or 1903 for a work entitled Alyssa. In 1904, Ravel did not compete, 
and in 1905, having reached the age limit of 30, Ravel competed for the last time and was eliminated in the first round. As it turned out, by 1905, the 30-year-old Ravel didn't need no stinking prize. He was famous and had come to be considered, along with Claude Debussy, the most important young composer in France. Given Ravel's fame, his treatment by the directors of the Conservatoire created a scandal called L'Affaire Ravel. The scandal led to the resignation of the director of the Conservatoire, Theodore Dubois, and the appointment of Ravel's friend and teacher, Gabriel Faure, in Dubois's place. Taken all together, the Ravel Affaire was a rare but satisfying bit of poetic justice. Ravel's Friends If the mark of a person is her or his friends, then Ravel receives the highest possible marks, an A++ in Bon Ami. His many friends included many of France's greatest artists and intellectuals, and to a person they left the sort of loving reminiscences of Ravel we'd all like to inspire. According to the pianist Marguerite Long, quote, Ravel combined Schubert's friendliness, Mendelssohn's courtesy, Liszt's generosity, and Albanese's delicacy. He was a typical Basque, small, thin, the bone structure of his face strongly marked. His hair was wavy, and having turned early to silver, gave an expression of gentleness to his features. A tireless walker, he was much given to walking about Paris. He was something of a dandy, anxious to follow fashion or even set it. He had a penchant for nice ties, the choice of which was often the subject of endless discussion. This meticulous elegance helped Ravel create an appearance and to carry the mask he ever used to thwart all invasion of his privacy. His small stature troubled him much. He was five foot three, though he was wont to point out that some composers were small. Think of Mozart and Beethoven. Ravel's integrity and loyalty were beyond reproach. He was always free from untruth and malice. So far as manners were concerned, he was a complete thoroughbred. He had the same consideration for people of little importance as for the great, to whom he showed no special regard." Unquote. Ravel's friend, Louis Aubert, who is the dedicatee of the Waltzes Noble and Sentimental, which will be featured in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, remembered Ravel as a man virtually without artistic pretense. Quote, no one was freer than he was from obvious vanity. Certainly, he set great store by extreme elegance in his clothes. But I wonder whether this was out of a desire to lose himself in the anonymity of a certain bourgeois correctness, and thus avoid the appearance of being an artiste, which was then all the rage." Unquote. The composer and critic Alexis Roland Manuel remembered that, quote, in any discussion of the discrepancies in the allotment of talent, he would shrug his shoulders and say, everybody's talented. I'm no more so than anyone else. 
with a little application, each of you could do what I do. If it is true that all art involves imitation, then no artist believed the dictum more than Ravel did. He never tired of saying that one must not be afraid of continual imitation. He was quite happy, therefore, to compare his waltzes with those of Schubert, from whom he had borrowed the epithets noble and sentimental." Unquote. Ravel adored the music of Claude Debussy, who was 13 years his senior. In 1902, Debussy's opera, Pelleas et Melisande, opened at the Opera Comique, at a time when Ravel was still an auditor at the Conservatoire. The Conservatoire's director, Theodore Dubois, outright forbade the students from attending the opera, which the pedants considered abhorrent. That first run of Pelleas et Melisande consisted of 14 performances. Ravel attended every single one of them. Debussy's and Ravel's music are typically conjoined as being impressionistic. In fact, they were fundamentally different composers writing fundamentally different music. Admittedly, both Debussy and Ravel exhibit a Gallic predisposition towards timbral nuance, tone color. But that's where any resemblance ends. Debussy was a true revolutionary who sought to leave the formal structures and compositional techniques of the past in the past, a composer whose often leisurely music is painted in exquisitely colorful strokes. Ravel, on the other hand, was a classicist whose music, in its melodic shapes, contrapuntal detail, and harmonic progressions, is much closer to that of Mozart than Debussy. Ravel put it this way, writing that Debussy's, quote, genius was obviously one of great individuality, creating its own laws, constantly in evolution, expressing itself freely, yet always faithful to French tradition. For Debussy, the musician and the man, I have had profound admiration. But by nature, I am different from Debussy. I think I have always personally followed a direction opposed to that of his symbolism." Unquote. Yeah, for our information, symbolism was a late 19th, early 20th century art movement that depicted truths symbolically through metaphor, as opposed to absolute art, also called realism. As a symbolist, Almost all of Debussy's music is program music, meaning that it describes non-musical imagery through musical metaphor. As a realist, Ravel's music, like that of Mozart, can be understood on its own in purely, absolutely musical terms, without the necessity for descriptive titles to explain what is going on musically. From the beginning of his career, Ravel seemed to be completely indifferent to criticism or praise. He was utterly devoted to his mother, whose death in 1917 left him devastated. He lived alone, and while he was never linked romantically to anyone, it is now generally assumed that he was an exceedingly discreet bisexual. 
During World War I, he served for a year in the French Motor Transport Corps as a driver. Despite bouts of ill health, Ravel lived a relatively quiet life after the war. His growing international reputation led his native France to offer him various honors and decorations, including the Legion of Honor in 1920, honors and decorations that he roundly refused. He was happy to receive such honors from abroad, and they included an honorary doctorate from Oxford University in 1928 and honorary titles and diplomas from Spain, Belgium, Italy, and the Scandinavian countries. In May of 1921, Ravel moved into a smallish house that he called Le Belvedere in the village of montfort la some 30 miles west of Paris. While not on tour, it was there that he lived, composed, and gardened, surrounded by his cats and taken care of by his devoted housekeeper, Madame Revelot, until his death on December 28, 1937, 83 years ago today. When we return tomorrow for Dr. Bob Prescribes, it will be with Ravel's wonderful, Waltz's noble and sentimental. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.